Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hi, everybody. I'm glad y'all are here. It's good to see you. We, uh, if you're with us for the first time, we're really excited that you're here. Uh, we begin every week with our confession. The confession is important. The confession does is it makes sure that we're all on the same page in the same place at the same time talking about the same things, right? So it's just this kind of come back together that brings us all together. So wherever you're from, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this is our truth that we begin with and, and this is it. And so we say together, we are badly broken. Yes, you are. That was great. There was a lot of intensity to that, and I just want to say that's appropriate, right? Like, because when you talk about being loved, well, that's what we've been talking about, is this idea that we began with this idea that God is love. And there's different ideas, right? Like, you know, and even we know this, right? Like, I love pizza. I love the Houston Astros. I love my children. I love Jesus. Not the same, right? And all that. So we've been kind of identifying what love is. And we saw the, the Greek word agape is like God's love. Love like God is. And so what we saw last week is we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? It's like the love chapter, right? And it was to say, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I can move mountains and if I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm a clanging gong and a resounding symbol, right? And then he described what love is of his patience. It's kind and it doesn't boast and it doesn't, it's not arrogant and it doesn't read. So we kind of went through that list. And if you're like me, which you may not be like me, but if you're like me, I walked through that and I was just like, that's hard. <laughs> and I, like being hard is one thing, but not only is it hard, I don't really want to do it that much. Like that's the thing, right? Like I like, here's the problem with love. We said at the end, we're like love is a verb, right? Like it's action, you have to do something. It's not a feeling, right? We saw that love is a choice. It's something that I, that I have to choose to do, but that love is also a command, right? So God commands us to love, right? Which is right in line with his character, with his nature, because he said that God is love, right? So when he tells his people to love, he gives a command to love, to go get his presence and his character and nature out into the world. Then we face a choice. Will we say yes to that love? yes to that position in the world, or will we say no? And that right there really is kind of the defining line between what it is to be a, character, to be a Christian. Do we listen to and follow and believe Jesus enough to like get involved, or do we do something else, kind of do what we want? The problem with this, the problem with love, right, the whole command thing, right, Jesus said like, as I have loved you, love. The problem is we really like to receive love. I like to be loved. Listen, I just want you to know you can come say nice things to me, do nice things to me, be sacrificially giving to me anytime you want to. And I will love it. I will soak it up. I will do all of those things, right? We love it. Less do we like giving it. And here's the thing. I don't think we like giving it less, really. If we're honest, if I'm honest, we feel like it's not going to work, right? Because here's the deal. Imagine with your children. I have kids. I have all like 15 and 12 and 17 and, you know, and getting all of there, right? How do you think it's better to get my kids quiet? Gently and kindly loving them. Or like, ah! Right? That's better at getting them quiet, right? And so we begin to believe, we begin to see in this world, and we begin to be convinced that the path and the method of love, while it's nice and it feels good and I like it and I want it, it's not really that good at making things happen. It's not really that good at like changing things, at like, like getting things going. We're worried that if we just focus on love, like if we just, if we get this, we're worried that we're just going to be indulgent, right? Like that the world is just going to go to hell and nobody's going to love Jesus and all that, it's going to be bad, and it's all indulgent, and it's not serious, and it won't work, right? Real quick, thought experiment. How's it going anyway? Okay, good. So, the question then, we saw 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's more important than the gifts. It's more important than the experience, like love and all that, right? The question then is, how? How do we do 
1 Corinthians 13. And not only that, why? Why should we choose that path, the path of sacrificial, self-giving, redemptive love over strength or force or might or power or the masses or whatever? Why would we choose that? And that story begins with the idea of reciprocity, right? It's a good word. I, I learned that word. I just wanted to say it in public, and so you're the recipients of that, the beneficiaries, right? So when you're talking about reciprocity, right, it's the whole quid pro quo thing like you do for me, I do for you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? And that's really the way that a lot of our interactions go, right? Like I'm nice to the people that are nice to me, or I'm nice to the people I think that I think I can get something from if I'm nice to, right? It's this whole idea of mutually beneficial love, and this is what we find. All kinds of things you can call it. You can call it tribal you can call it clicks, you can call it whatever, but basically we like people who like us and are like us. And you just go, yes, yes, right? We had that talk like in a, in a small group when we were talking about how do you love unlovable people, unlovely people. And first we can just acknowledge, right? Some people are difficult, it's hard. And in a very real sense, kind of what we could come up with was we stay away from them. Right? Unlovable people, we just like, we get away from it. And let me just tell you, there's a brand and a, and a measure and a degree of personal toxicity that sometimes that's just all you can do. My concern is that if we jump right to that point where people that are different from us or displeasing to us in some way, we just skip them, right? We just move right by them. The problem then is the entire world is broken down into these factions and these fractions and we're not connecting and we're not being and looking like what it's supposed to look like, right? So reciprocity is this give and take, this reciprocal circle. So real quick, let me say, we're going to be in a passage of scripture today that is freaking hard, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me maybe give you some grace if you ever had this experience, okay? If you got your Bible, and I hope you do, you should turn to 2 Corinthians 5 because that's going to be the primary point and we're going to jump around all over. I wish, so here's what I believe about the inspiration of scripture, okay? I believe that God inspired people, men, to write scripture. He put thoughts and ideas and belief and doctrine into their, into their hearts, hearts and minds and brains and head, but he let it come out with their own personality, right? Like with their own language, their own word choice. It doesn't mean that God didn't inspire scripture. It means that God inspired it through another voice. If God were to use me like that, the scripture would sound like me. It would be like I wrote. So what we have now when we read 2 Corinthians 5 is God's inspiration through the Apostle Paul. And here's what I've come to notice about the Apostle Paul. His mind was brilliant. His language less so. I'm just like, bro, mix in a comma, right? Like, like periods and sentences and stuff. Like, it's just, it's just hard. And like, I just want to say, here's the good news. Because like, if you read through the stuff that Paul wrote, one of the criticisms that you keep coming back to, the people kept saying about Paul is you're just not very eloquent, right? So this is hard, but it's really good. And it's really worth it, okay? So we're gonna dig in and we're gonna, and we're gonna power through, but here's what I wanna do when we come to the scripture that's hard, that's uncomfortable, that's important. What I wanna do is I wanna pray and I wanna ask God to help us do that. So if you've ever had a hard time reading the scripture, my encouragement for you would be before you do it, just stop. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word and it's not ours. And your desire is for us to know you. I believe that. And so we come to a passage of scripture today that's really difficult. And it's, the language is difficult. Like, so I just pray, Father, that you would help us to untangle this. That you would help us to make sense of it. I pray, Father, that you would help me. I pray, Father, that I would have the discipline to not say in 10 words what can be said in one, but also, Father, not to leave at one word what needs 10 to be explained. Our desire today, Father, is to know you and to be like you and to have our hearts transformed by you. So I pray that you would use your word to do just that and that you would give us grace as we learn and as we read to become like you. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
right? This idea of reciprocity, right? Here's an example of that. Remember when, Paul, when Nick was up here just doing communion, right? And he talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That passage begins with Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, it's for you. I received what I passed on. This is a picture of reciprocity. We can call it, um, we can call it, it's our, it's, Paul is being a conduit. We find the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, says this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, okay? So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking like, ah, don't hit me, right? We're talking about respect. We're talking about a reverent awe. The fear of the Lord is the sense where we go, that is God, and I am not God. God not God. Now, here's where this gets really good. The problem is we read the word fear of God and we just go, oh, God's a scary monster. Listen, we may say that. Listen, remember week one, God is, yeah, God is great. So the fear of the Lord is related to God's love. Here's the concept. God's love is so comprehensive and unchanging and exhaustive that when we stand in for it, we just look at it and we go, that's amazing. I don't have never seen or experienced anything like that. So what Paul says is, I know the fear of the Lord because I have experienced that. What does it say? We persuade others. Paul is like in this big chain gang, right? Or what are they like the, the bucket brigade, right? I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul saying, I know what it is to be loved you? If we don't, you're not ready to give because you don't have anything to give. And what I want to do is not condemn you in that. And not like I don't condemn you, like I don't do that. I want to make sure that you're not condemning you. That you're not standing there going, well, yeah, man, I should have got it by now. I should be loved. Right? I get it. I understand, right? But what we're finding is it's got to begin with receiving. And so if you're not in a place where you received today, good news for you. Today, your goal and your job is simply to receive, right? Do you remember when we were talking about Genesis and we talked about order and it was God, right? And what he did is he created creation and then he placed mankind in the middle. And our job was to receive the blessing from the Lord and then to manage his creation well. That's what mankind was for. That's our vocation. That's what we are. Well, that, what it is that we're passing on is God's character, God's nature. It is love. That's where we are, right? The difference is, so here, here's kind of a paradigm, right? If we try to give what we haven't received, we are what's called a salesman. My apologies to anybody in here who is a salesman in this thing, right? But you know what it's like to go to a car dealership, right? And you see somebody coming up and you're doing this number. Right? Because we know, right? There's a difference between a salesman and a satisfied customer. What you're likely to get with me if you hang out very long is I'm gonna, you're going to talk about something that's going on in, the life, in your life. And what I'm going to say is, oh, I read a book about that and the book is like this and it goes says and it says all this stuff. And I'm going to throw books at you, right? You're going to hear me say I'm reading a book 650 times. Now here's what happens, right? That book, for whatever reason, has impacted my life and so I want it to impact your life. What often happens when I recommend a book is somebody come back to me and they're going to go like, it was a book. I am yet to have anybody come to me afterwards and punch me in the face for recommending something, a book that they, that they didn't like, right? But the difference is if I'm talking about something that I've read, something that has impacted me, something that's different, people are more likely to try it, right? Because there's a difference between a person who is a salesman and a person who is a satisfied customer. And so this has everything to do with a Christian idea called evangelism, right? Have you heard about evangelism? If you're like me, evangelism was a program that we did, like we went to church on Wednesday nights. This is why I hated going to church on Wednesday nights, right? Because what we would do is we would go to people's house. They didn't ask for us to come. They were eating dinner, and so we're like, and they answer the door, and you ask such warm and inviting questions as like, How's it with your soul, right? Like, <laughs> if you were to die today, where would you go to heaven or hell, right? And they're like, I just want to finish my enchiladas, man. Can we, can you come back, can you come back later, right? And I think, listen, there's value. Like, time to share, there, there's, there's value in talking to Sharon. But listen, 
What's important is not just the words that we say, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing, I'm a gonging symbol, right? The thing is that we've got to get it. It's got to get into us, right? So this is, our, this is the satisfied customer. Like Paul says, I've experienced it. We're going to get to him if he's just settled down, right? So Paul is a conduit, right? So now we go down to verse 14 and we read this. For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, so the love of Christ. What does that mean? Is, are we talking about Paul's love for Christ? Because here's a problem. Can I be honest with you? If any part of this is about the measure of how much I love God, and the whole thing falls apart. Because I've talked about with my kids, I have been in my life both a son and a father. And the love that a person feels as a father is qualitatively and quantitatively different, right? My dad, dad right? Like, it's true, right? It's good, right? And so, so the deal is like, if this is about how much I love God right now, that's a losing bid. And it's okay to acknowledge that and admit that. I don't know how to love God because I don't know what he looks like. Like, I don't, I don't see what he's So what has to happen is I have to begin being loved by God, right? So he says this, the love of Christ controls us. You may have an older translation that says compels us, right? Like it drives us on because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died, right? Okay, so we're not afraid, we're not running and we're not hiding away from God, right? What Paul is saying is God's love, Christ's love is what drives me on. So if it's not Paul's love for Christ, what we're talking about is Christ's love for people is what compels Paul to do what he does, to try to persuade and try to convince other people. What Paul's saying is, I'm just a conduit. Look, all this love that comes into me, it's got to get out somewhere, and it's got to go somewhere. So because of Christ loves me so much, I just got to love you. And not only got to love you, I got to tell you. And listen, if you don't believe me, that's fine. I'm just going to tell you anyway, and I'm going to love you. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be there because Christ's love drives me on, and it pushes me on. Okay, and then he talks about death which is everybody's favorite subject, right, to talk to. We've got to make this connection, right? Christ's love, Christ's death. Do you remember John 3.16, what John 3.16 said? For God so what? Say it. The world that he what? His only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God's love, God loved so he gave. Good. So let me go back to the book of Mark, right? Another story about Jesus' life. And in Mark chapter 10... Jesus says this, for even the son of man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. So in John 3, 16, we find God loved and so he gave. In Mark chapter 10, we find Jesus loved and so he gave. So now we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 into verse 15 and we find that Jesus died. The cross is an expression of God's love for you. That's the picture. And it's a picture of restoration. It's a picture of forgiveness. We've talked about the penalty, right? There's got to be a penalty for sin. If, if somebody wrecks into my car, somebody has to pay it. Either I have to pay it, or if I just leave it and don't pay for it, that's still a manner of me paying for it, or you have to pay it. And what we're told is that Jesus gave his life for us. That's what the cross is. The cross is a demonstration of Jesus' sacrificial love for us. Okay, so now here's where it gets good. Are you ready? We know the story. The cross isn't the end of the story. What's the end of the story? The end of the Easter story resurrection. Are you listening? Because here's where it gets good. Because the whole story of Jesus's life is Jesus saying, I'm going to give to you more than you think is possible. I'm going to give so much that you're going to think that I am abandoned and smitten and stricken by God. I am going to give so much that they're going to take my life and I'm going to think it's a win. And do you know how many people thought it was a win on Good Friday? One, Jesus. Do you know how many people thought it was a win on Sunday? A lot more. See, what happens is resurrection validates Jesus' life. Jesus spent his entire life giving his life away. And what happened on the cross is Jesus fully and finally gave every bit of it. And what did God say? God said, 
Well, that's how you keep your life forever. Are you listening? You go, we go, trying to take what we want, whether it's possessions or experience or houses or stuff or cars or reputation, and we go and try to take and we try to cobble a life together out of what we can take from somewhere else or someone else or what we can hold on to, what we can cling to. We try to build a life for us where we can put a wall around and make sure that no one can get, and we protect it with, with guards and with politics and with money and with all this stuff, right? And we protect as much as we get because then we think we have a life. And what Jesus showed is when you give it all, then God gets involved and goes, guess what? When you make your life about giving it away, you will never give till you're empty. What if the reason that we're empty is because we're just trying to hold on to what we think is ours instead of just like receiving what Jesus has for us? What if Jesus put all that stuff in your hand and in your life to make you a giver so that you could be just like him, a conduit, to receive love and then to give love and just go, but if I give, then I won't have enough, right? This is where we think that love is weak. This is where we think love is ineffective, that it's passive, that it's, that it's all of these, these things, right? So, but what we find is Jesus saying this, Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 24 and 25, then Jesus told his disciples, now let's just stop real quick and say in this room, if there were a group of disciples in this room, it would be us. So this is something that we can take and we can hear from us. Jesus told his disciples, man, I should have kept that, where is it? Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, not some people, this is the metric, this is the way, this is the one, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now we read that and we go, oh, I have a cross wall at my house. If you just go up the stairs and there's crosses and it's lovely and I had jewelry and I like this. False. The cross to Jesus was nothing less than what would put him to death. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to lose all of that, and listen, he goes on, right? Whoever would save his life, whoever would make a life for themselves by gathering and cobbling and holding together, whoever would save his life will lose it. But if you'll lose your life, your life, your life, what's your life about? Is it about your job? Is it about your stuff? Is it about your reputation? What? And not, not hypothetically. I'm not talking to us. I'm talking to you. What is your life about? Unless you're willing to lose that, what does he say? Uh, man, you'll find it. If you lose it, you'll find it. What if the problem is we're holding on to two things too tightly rather than just giving them away in love, right? And so, so that's the idea, right? So we have this picture. Paul says, I'm a conduit, and this comes through me, and it flows from me, through me, to you. And so what this leads us about love is we don't love because we're so awesome. And listen, I don't even love you because you're so awesome. We love the world for Jesus's sake, period. Our calling is to love the world. That's the how. We love that for Jesus' sake. Here's an example of this. I know you've been waiting for me. This is my friend, Ah-Ah. Do you know why his name is Ah-Ah? Because when my three-year-old daughter, Madison, had him, that's what sound a monkey makes. Ah-Ah. Okay, so, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's what I was hoping you would say. You'll notice a few things, right? That stuff is coming out, right? His ear is chewed off because my dog Remus ate him, right? Also ate off part of his tail. I'm just going to tell you a little something about Ah-Ah-Ah-Ah is foul. He has got baby spit up. He has got dog chew. He is gross. And let me tell you another thing. You will take Ah-Ah from me when you pry him from my cold, dead fingers. Do you know why? Because wrapped up in this little barely stuffed monkey are all the fond memories of my beautiful, precious little Madison. I do not love Ah-Ah because of the sum total of his value and worth and fabric. I love Ah-Ah for Madison's sake. We love the world for Jesus' sake. Because, friend, like it or not, probably not, and I get it. I understand. I'm right with you on this. Our Lord Jesus is absolutely crazy in love with every person that you can't stand to be around. And God, I hate that. <laughs> so I get to choose, is it my world or is it Jesus' world? And what we find is that Jesus calls us to love the world for his sake. Good news, 
You ready? We need some good news after that, right? Here's the good news. Because it's a command, because it's a choice, and because it's a verb, right? It's not something that we have to feel. It's not something we think. The good news is because it's a command and a choice and a verb, it's something that you can do. You can do it today, regardless of what you feel, regardless of how you think, regardless of who's sitting next to you, you can do it today. The bad news is, almost without exception, we don't want to, right? We want things that people don't give us. We want people to do things that they don't. We have all these desires for our life. So the bad news is, because it's a command and because it's a choice and because it's a verb, our desires aren't an excuse. We don't get to say, well, I loved them because I didn't love them, Father, because they were wrong. Are you listening? I don't love them, Father, because their life was an abomination to you. And Jesus gets to say, you don't tell me who is an abomination to me. We don't get to say, Jesus, I don't love them because they're messy. Jesus will say, the very story of your salvation is that I found you when you were rot, gut, wasted. And I saved you, and I called you, and I left you in the world because that's what the kingdom is, and that's where the kingdom is, and that's what we're called to do. So the good news is that you can do it. The bad news is that we don't want to do it, and that's not an excuse. And the other thing, and then when we get to, right, like the question always about love is they're like, just what? But don't they have to be good? Like, don't you want them to be good, right? Like, tell them to stop cussing. Tell them to stop sinning. Tell them to stop being all the things and doing things. And I go, yes, Jesus wants that too. He wants it for different reasons than you do, I think, because I want people to stop sinning because their sin makes me uncomfortable, right? And I'm, and I'm selfish and do that. Jesus wants people to stop sinning because their sin destroys them. Right? It's, a very different, it's a very different thing and a different real, right? But let's talk about that problem of morality, right? Jesus standing up in Matthew chapter 22 someone asked him what's the greatest commandment I know what I'd tell him right but Jesus says this he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and the first commandment we're like yeah you sinners need to love Jesus like me I go to church every Sunday I'm in a small group and I sing reckless love with my hand up I'm like you you need to be like me yeah love Jesus love God and then he goes on and said the second one is like it you, listen, it's like it. What's like love God? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophet. So do you want to get everybody to obey the law? Listen to the problems? Do do that? Love them. I didn't, it's not my law. I didn't make it. It's not my, I didn't say this. Jesus said it. If, I don't have red letters in here, but if these were red, they would be red. Your Bible may be red, right? That's what Jesus does, right? Our practice of love, if you practice loving your neighbor and your enemy hard, like 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, your morals, your behavior will change. But then it will change because you have been loved and because you are loving well and because you are following and being where Jesus is. That's how you love. You love people for Jesus' sake. Listen, and here's the, like I said, it's good news or bad news. You have every single thing at your disposal today to go obey what Jesus tells you to do. It is available to you right here, right now. That's how you do it for Jesus' sake. So when you see somebody that's really annoying, and boy, are they out there, right? Oh my gosh, so much, right? When you do that, you just go, Jesus, help me love this terrible person. Seriously, if that's all you got, say it, right? Because I believe he will. I believe that he can. What he'll begin to do is show you how much he loves this person, right? So that's how you do it. You choose it. Even if you don't want to, You choose it. But the only way we will do that is if we know why. And this gets back to that thing where we don't think it's effective, right? We just think if we love everybody, it's going to be squishy and tolerant and let them do that, right? Well, the next thing, we're just going to kind of hit these pretty quick, but Paul tells us why this matters. Paul tells us why this works. Paul tells us why it happens. It just, it takes a little work for us to get into it, to unpack it, untangle it, and apply it to our lives, right? So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and pick up where Paul in verse 16, right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, Paul says this, from now on, okay, so listen, this love, the day that the love gets into us, it's like a dividing line, right? From now on, therefore, therefore points back, right? Because of God's love for us, because he gave, because he's the conduit of God's love, therefore, we regard no one. Now, let me ask you real quick, do you think Paul understood, do you think there was a Greek word for some? Yep, 
So when Paul says no one, who gets excluded from that? Okay? We consider no one according to the flesh. Now, what's the flesh? This is flesh. It's skin, right? So what does that mean? Flesh in the Bible is a synonym. It is a symbol as representative of a system. It is a world system that is opposed to God. It is a world system that is built on and developed around my desires and what I want, okay? At the center of the world of the flesh is me, and at the center of your flesh is you. And so what Paul is saying now is we don't judge or evaluate anyone based on what's on the outside. Pause with that for a second. The really dumpy ones, we don't consider them according to the flesh. The gay ones, we don't consider them according to the flesh. The Democrats, I'm going to tell you the truth. Honest to God, right? You're going to give me grace or you're going to leave and go and whatever, and that's fine. I, there's a part of me that I'm, I'm itchy and nervous about 2024. Do you know why? You can give me grace here right now. Not talking about us, talking in general. I don't think the church did a very good job in 2020. I think we lost a lot in 2020. My great fear is that we're going to be the same in 2024. If we don't get this, you can bet on it. Because if we're considering people according to the flesh, by their sin list, by their voting affiliation, by where they live, by how much money they have, by whatever the thing is, we miss it. He says, we don't consider anyone according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh. This is cool, because what this implies, and I read several commentaries about this, this implies that Paul was probably familiar with the early ministry of Je- with the earthly ministry of Jesus. He was probably around, he probably heard Jesus' teacher teaching, and do you know what Paul thought when he heard Jesus? That guy's a false prophet! Turns out he was the savior of the world. (laughs) If Paul, the apostle Paul, could be wrong about Jesus, how wrong could you be about that person that you barely know? We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ that way. Do you know why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, friend, here's the story for you. The love of Christ will change you exhaustively, comprehensively in ways and places and things that you can't even imagine right now. The love of Christ gets in and it impacts your motives, right? When we talk about loving our neighbor as ourself, that's the hard part, right? Because we have this like self-esteem thing, right? And I think, you know how we have a self-esteem crisis in our country, in our, in our world? Because we've made self-esteem an idol. But God created you. He made you good. He made you for a purpose. Go do that, and you won't worry about your self-esteem. But if you need somebody else to tell you how great and wonderful you are, they can't. Do you know why? Because they're wrapped up in here. So we just need to opt out of the whole me, 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 me thing, right? Do you know how we love each other as ourselves? Here's the deal. If you come to me and you go, you said that thing, and you offended me on a stage, and you don't even love me. Do you know what I would say? I would just be like, oh, my gosh. I, I did, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I wasn't trying to, right? What I would do would be explain my motives to you and tell you why so if i'm going to love my neighbor as myself when you offend me rather than going why do you hate me so much you must be the devil because i am clearly jesus's person and you're just trying to ruin the world do you know what i do i begin to ascribe good motives to their behavior oh they weren't trying to hurt my feelings they must have had a bad day i should send them a care package if you don't think that'll change the temperature in the room friend right so we don't Love as, like, I want everybody to recognize my sovereignty and my, that right? No, if we're going to love others as ourselves, we begin to make excuses. Not a justifying, bad, oh, well, they kicked a puppy. That's okay. Nope, not that behavior. No, not we're saying that okay. But we begin to identify their worth from God, that God created them to be new. And here's what that looks like, right? So we go to Philippians, a couple pages back. And Paul says this in Philippians. This is crazy, right? Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, Paul says, as, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Okay, so obedience, now that's the verb, right? That's the activity, right? And it's a choice. As you have obeyed, so now, not only is it in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen, work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say make your salvation happen. It says take the little seed of salvation that was in you and let it work out. Like, get it. How do I work out my body? I do exercises and I try to get the health from inside all the way out, right? 
Ugh, so good. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is great, verse 13. You've got to listen right here. This is so important. For it is God who works in you both to will and to act. Listen, being a Christian doesn't mean it's automatic. It doesn't mean you wake up tomorrow and just go, I have no more lust. It means you have, are you listening? It means you have the opportunity to say yes to something that you never had an opportunity to say yes to before. God's love for you. All that remains is for us to say yes. All that remains for us is to do it, to work out that salvation. And so what that means, when I come down the street and I see somebody out and go, oh, is that a dang old Republican who just hates minorities and hates other... We don't regard anyone according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ that way. That's a new creation. Or... That's a person that Jesus wants to make new. Don't you dare identify one of Jesus' beloved children by some external thing that Jesus is trying to wash and make new because Jesus wouldn't like it if somebody did that for you. Jesus doesn't want you judged by 10-year-old self, 8-year-old self, 30-year-old self, 20 minutes ago self. Because what Jesus does is makes you new. So the reason we love others for Jesus' sake is because Jesus' love actually changes things. Anger doesn't. Well, I'm not going to say that because here's the deal. I can bring the volume down in my house. I just have to get my volume above their volume for like one second, right? Then it gets real quiet because I have a big, loud loud voice, right? But think of the trade-offs for that. I have a quiet house with children who are afraid of me. That's not what we want. God is love. God doesn't want you to, to be hiding from him and cowering. The time that we see that in Scripture, right, where Adam goes and hides, what does Jesus do? Goes, finds him. What does Father do? Goes, finds him. Goes, calls him out. He doesn't want you to hide from him because he's angry. He absolutely loves you, and that love changes things. Nobody was ever changed in their heart from unloved to love by anger. Nobody was changed by tribalism. Now, we may have been reinforced in our weaknesses and in our biases and in in all those things, but we have never been changed to the love of God by having somebody hate us or be mad at us or yell at us, right? And here's the thing, right? So here's the good news because you're like, I just can't because they're terrible. So here's the, let me just ask a question. How many of you believe that being saved means that Jesus comes and lives in your heart? Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to do it good, like good. Raise it up, like all the way up. I can see like good, a lot of people. Here's the good news from you. Are you listening? If Jesus lives in your heart, then his love is there too. Just get it out. And do you know what's keeping us from getting it out? Not wanting to. Not wanting to do for other people what they haven't done for us. This is why we say every week, we are badly broken. And yet... We're deeply loved. Jesus' love isn't contingent on our brokenness. Jesus' love is contingent on his personality, on his nature, on his character. So we're either following him and becoming more like him or we're not. Okay? So we love because Jesus' love actually changes things. Now we go, to, we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, starting in verse 18. I have a lot of scriptures today, right? Five, starting in verse 18, says this. All of this is God, right? The, the, um, the love, the, the new creation, all that. All of this is from God, who through Christ, conduit. Do you see like the consistency? Do you see the themes that we're talking about, right? God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. You know what reconciliation is, right? To make peace. If I go, this is my friend Casey right here, and I just go, hey, Casey, we were fighting, and she got mad. Like, she likes the Washington Redskins, and they're terrible, or they're the commanders now, and they're awful, and I'm a Cowboys fan. And so we fight. But to be reconciled is to just be like, hey, even though you like Satan's football team, we can still be, <laughs> we can still be friends, and, like, we can serve Jesus together. Because, and listen, right? So what's great is about that, about that reconciliation is now we get to go to people and we get to go just like eternity isn't just about which football team you cheer for or which football team you vote for or which football team you think ruined America or which football team you think saved America or which football team you even care about. Because all of a sudden now reconciliation is about we're loved by the same guy and that's cool, right? So, who reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what the ministry of River City Church is? It's not this. It's not that. It's not children's ministry. It's not men's breakfast. The ministry of River City Church is, hey, world, God's not mad. 
He has been loving you since before you were born. And it is our job to make sure that you know you're loved by a God who is near. That's it. You can't even change your own heart. Is there anything in your life that you wish wasn't there? Do you have any long-standing habits and behaviors that you just can't kick and get over and you can't, even though you're, you hate them and you're afraid of them and you're ashamed of them, if you can't control and change your own heart, why do you think you're going to be able to change their heart? Our job, now if they come to you and they, if this is somebody that you love and they have a disaster in their life, it's okay to look at them and go, I think what you're seeing is the fruit of some bad choices and that's what sin is and so like, let's deal with that and let's figure that out. But it's always done in love. It's always done walking and, ca- and caring, right? I'm going so long, right? They gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and here's what it counts. And this is good news first, right? He was reconciling to us to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I want you to take that for yourself. I stand before the Lord as often as I can, every night if I can, if I remember, and I stand before the Lord, I just go, Lord, it's not that I have sinned, which I have. It's that, Lord, I am sinful. Give me half a minute on my own and I'll offend someone or hurt someone or be selfish or take someone or do, or do something before that and I before that. And you know what you feel and you know what you encounter when you come with that confession and that ownership is Jesus loving you. Jesus loving me. The point of the cross is that you don't have to stand now with your big bag of sins that you've ever done and hope that it on the big scale that it doesn't wake up. There's no scale. There's no scale in heaven, Okay. He's not, it doesn't say that you don't have sin. You do have sin. You're neck deep and you're dying in it. He doesn't count it against you. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you know what our message to the world is? You are badly broken. We can't get away from that. Listen, if you're in here and you think that at any point I just told you, hey, your life is okay. And I just, I just want you to know that I affirm your life and your love. And you, I don't affirm anything about it. I don't affirm it. No, it's all wrecked. We're all terrible. We're wrecked. Desperately in need of a Jesus who can love us into salvation and restore the eternity and, and restore the things. That's the story that we're in, right? And that's what he told us. So listen, I'm not saying that we don't have to look around the world and know that there's sin in it. We just have to look around the world and not count it against them. Do you think Jesus cares about their sin too? Let them deal with it. He can deal with yours. Has the Lord ever convicted you of a sin? Has the Lord ever brought something to your mind and asked you and cast a better picture? Then he can do it for them. Our job is to get them close enough to hear and to speak with such words that they can hear his voice and our voice, right? So we love because his actually changes things, but we love others because it's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus has done for you. When Jesus went to the cross and they're putting nails in his hands, his words were, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Now, I would have read that one way if it had happened before, right? Like before this, Jesus like, oh, Father, forgive them. Then I would be when they're driving nails. I'm like, yeah, I bet he's holding it against them now, right? But right in the middle of it, when it got the worst, Jesus said, forgive them. That's what he says to you. And it's also what he says to that person that you can't stand that person that you hate, that person that you think is ruining all of it. That's what he's done for us. And listen, this is so good. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are God's representative in a foreign land. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the message. Not stop sinning. Not quit being bad. Not quit doing the things. The message is Jesus loves you and he wants to be so close to you that you can smell his cologne. It smells like love, and it smells like grace, and fresh cut grass, and every good thing that you can imagine in your life, and it smells like eternity, and that's what he's done for you. And so the question is, if we want to live in and inhabit a world where people's sins aren't counted against them, then we must follow. So this really brings us back to the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Is it possible to follow somebody and not ever be where they are? 
is it possible to follow somebody and to have goals and values and vision and principles that are fundamentally different than the one that we are supposed to be following because the reason we love the world in Jesus' name is because well-loved people are God's best invitation. Jesus came and he's sitting around the table with Zacchaeus. This guy was a tax collector and he called him down and said, I want to go have dinner at your house. And Zacchaeus brought all his friends and the Pharisees, the really religious people, were so mad at him because they're sinful people, Jesus. And you eat dinner with them, you're just going to affirm their lifestyle and tell them how tad you And they're just thinking they're okay, Jesus, because you're having dinner with them. And you know what Jesus said? The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So my friends... If we're not in hot pursuit of people who are far from Jesus, whatever other religious games we may be playing, we are not seeking and saving the lost. And that is Jesus' mission, and we are following him. That should be our mission, too. So I'm going to say, like, I love you. You're like my favorite church in the world. But I have to tell you the truth right now, right? Okay? There is no question according to Scripture about whether or not Jesus loves lost, sinful, hurting people. There is no question about that definitively. Jesus loves sinful, lost, hurting people. I know this because he loved me. Okay? There is no question whether or not Christians are called to follow Jesus in loving and serving not just our neighbor, but our enemy. We're going to talk about that next week. There is no question that the calling on every Christian life is to seek and save that which is lost. The question is, are you more like Jesus today than you were on the day that you started following him? particularly in this area of loving your neighbor and your enemy. Are you listening? If you're not more, and I'm talking increments, if you're not progressively and intentionally and deliberately loving your neighbors and your enemies more like Jesus, I submit to you humbly, without accusation, you may not actually be following Jesus you may not be as saved as you think you are because what we are saved from is a world where we are crushed because of what's on the outside. Jesus came to save us from that for a world where we are made new every moment, every day from the inside out. I get it. It's hard. You may not like this. I want salvation to be about everything. I, I, oh, like I prayed a prayer. I walked. I did that. Yep. Nope. The metaphor is follow and if we are following Jesus, letting his love, we are working out our salvation, we will be different. We'll be like Jesus. And so if over periods of time, if we're not hating our sin less, if we're not loving people more, listen, this isn't final. The good news is here's what I want to tell you today. You may sit here and just go, I haven't loved somebody better in years or ever. You may be sitting there going, I've been in church every Sunday since I was four years old, but I don't know that I've ever loved somebody well. And maybe that means that I'm not saved. Look, there's good news. That very acknowledgement and recognition opens the door for what you've been seeking and searching for. All he wants to do is love you. Will you ask him? Will you say, Jesus, forgive me for making it about I want it to be about this. I want it to be about your love for me first. So then when I talk to people about their dead-end relationships, about their toxicity, about their sin, when I talk about them, it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of hope. It comes from a place believing and knowing Jesus can change your heart, not just your behavior. Do you know when all those sins stop, start falling away? When we don't need them to give us life. If I don't need alcohol to hide from my problems because I know Jesus can take care of my problems, well, now I don't need alcohol anymore, and it can just fall away. But we have to be loved first. That's the call. So I just ask you to pray, Jesus. We have seen that you love us well, and we see that this calling that you have given us to love the world and to love our neighbors is way harder than just being good. And so we need your help. I don't just need your help. Like, it, like 
you know, like you're some apprentice. I need you to change my heart. I need you to help me not consider anybody from a worldly standpoint, but to see the new creation that they are possible, that's possible in them. So Jesus, I pray when I see somebody who is offensive to me, who is hurtful to me, who is ugly to me, who is, who is living in wide open rejection of you, Jesus, give me the courage to love them well and to speak truth from a position of love, not gongs and cymbals and noise, and, but love. And I pray for those in here today who maybe they come to realize that they've never followed you. That's, they've never let themselves be loved by you. They thought being a Christian was being good or being... I pray that they would simply ask you to come in to plant that seed of love and salvation in their heart, to give your spirit to lead us and to guide us and that we would be saved. If that's you in here today, I just want you to know that maybe if, if you've never done that before, I want you to acknowledge that today is the moment You have asked Jesus to come save you from a world where you are defined by what you do. You have been saved for an identity that was created for you in heaven before you were born. If you've never, I don't do this often, but if you would just close your eyes. I know we've gone long, we're almost done. Just close your eyes, just give some space of privacy. If today, if you've never done that and you want to do it, a couple in the first service, will you just like to say, hey, I've never done this before. It never was. I just want to put my hand up and I want to ask Jesus to come in and love me and save me today. If you do that, will you put your hand up? I just want to see it. It's one guy. I see it. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Jesus said because he loves you, he would come and he would plant that salvation in you. And our job now is to follow him in working it out. And what that will mean is you will love some people who are desperately unlovable. Jesus, help us do that in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.